Wake up! Wake up, wake up, wake up! Up you wake, up you wake, up you wake, up you wake! This is America. Don't get you slipping now. CIA owns this? No. No. Uh, independent aviation consultants. Oh, this is legal? If you're doing it for the good guys? Yeah. <laughs> Just don't get caught. This is America. Don't get you slipping now. I don't know. Something's like crossed over in me. And I can't go back. I mean, I just couldn't live. I know. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. I mean, come on, let's kick the ballistics here. Ain't no Uzis made in Harlem. I mean, not one of us in here owns a poppy feet. This thing is bigger than Nino Brown. This is big business. This is the American way. Yeah. I got the strap. Hey. I gotta carry him. Yeah, yeah, I'ma go into this. Yeah, yeah, this is going Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the B-Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Kautzer, and we are on the second half of the double feature titled This is America sports and today we are looking at spike lee's film he got game uh released in 1998 starring denzel washington uh ray allen and a host of other uh spike lee regulars and non-regulars alike um but before we get into the film let's kind of talk a little bit about uh the connections the uh connective tissues that tie both of uh both this and um a league of their own to each other and first and foremost i feel like the reason why these two work so well with one another is that they are properly using sports they're using sports as an analogy um as a thematic not necessarily as the actual film or not a a, not uh, not the actual like the actual like the actual movie itself. I mean, like, you know, Hoosiers is, yes, it's about basketball, but it's about a little bit more than just basketball. It's about, uh, boys, uh, turning into men, um, giving hope where there's no hope, uh, in very many different places. Um, I, I have a very complicated relationship with Hoosier Hoosiers. I mentioned it because I'll probably bring up that movie a couple of times. I'm going to try to refrain from it because I know that a lot of people find that that film is like on the list of the greatest the greatest sports films, if not the greatest sports film of all time. So I don't want to tread on sacrilegious grounds, especially as a man who loves basketball. And we'll get into that too. Uh, Something I think that we've not talked about on the podcast, or maybe we've talked about it briefly. But um, I like... I like my sports films heavy in thematics and heavy in analogy just because uh, I feel like it's fertile ground for that. I mean, you know, like I said, like sports films, the best ones are never, they're not about the sport. They are about something more than that, be it a character or a theme or just something uh, something that the, the director and writer have chosen to take a look at. Um, so... I feel like both of these films do that extremely well, and they also 
are amazing character pieces uh, and with very complicated characters. Characters like, you know, main characters that you're not asked to like. Like, I feel like both of these films are, in a way, a throwback to 70s filmmaking. And 70s filmmaking in in the best possible way. Um, where you didn't have to like a character. You just had to... You didn't have to like a character. Or a character didn't need to be quote-unquote likable. Um, a, few mo- um, a few episodes ago, we talked about... Um, uh, Mikey and Nikki, um, a film by Elaine May. And I think that that film is a prime example of film, a film about two terrible fucking people. And even though that they're terrible, fucking awful people, we, we still watch the movie and we're still enraptured in this story and in these characters where they're still infinitely watchable and I think that that uh, both he got game and um a league of their own are examples of flawed characters that are not are, are, are not heroes in any way shape or form um and they still manage to be characters that we want to follow and watch uh, and then ultimately it's about, and, and this is something that we're going to be talking about in a few weeks again, it, it's about, you know, women, women struggle and, you know, the, the black community struggle and it, it's very comp like the very complicated, um, the very complicated relationships that are tied in both communities to America, um, and uh, I'll let you draw your own conclusions on both of those parts, and especially with films that are coming up, are are some of them are lightning rods for these these two very specific things, are these two specific communities, or or I mean, well, women aren't a community; they're a gender. I mean, but within the uh, black community, and also within, um, you know, with women in dealing with with issues. I mean, I think that these films illustrate a point in regards to a greater uh, a greater issue in America and uh, they do it through different means but they both are weaponized in a certain way I think one is more subtle than the other but that also goes to the filmmakers and it's neither that's not a criticism or a critique of the of the work it's just a stated fact at least to me so with that after as we've talked about connections and how these two work in in unison with one another why don't we actually talk about the films them about he got game which i love how this like if you're watching this as a double feature how this will transition beautifully um between one another because um this film like uh, as league of their own ends in the midwest in a baseball diamond um you know, talking about like, you know, showing images of, of women playing baseball. Um, he got game perfectly ties into that as Spike Lee opens in middle America with different children or, or younger, uh, yeah, children playing uh, basketball, um, in slow motion as, um, 
as Aaron Copeland's um, compositions begin to uh, begins to rise in the soundtrack. And one of the most beautiful things that that Spike Lee did in this film was use Aaron Copeland, uh, the the great American composer. Uh, uh, compositions throughout the entirety of the film the film is scored alternately between Aaron Copeland's compositions of America and um, and then Public Enemy coming back after after nine years and working with Spike Lee again um, for this film so the songs most of the songs are by uh, Public Enemy but the the score is done by Eric Copeland, and I can tell you that this is the smartest decision that I think of out of everything. I think that uh, that uh, Spike Lee made in He Got Game, because what it does ultimately is it ties it ties basketball intrinsically to America, um, and it and he beautifully illustrates this in this opening credit sequence as he goes through and shows people of various ages, denominations, creeds, genders, playing basketball. And it's to Aaron Copeland's American, American, almost like almost just patriotic uh, compositions. And we finally, at the end of it, we finally land on our main character, Jake Shuttlesworth, played by Denzel Washington, who is in the middle of the Attica prison yard shooting, uh, taking a spot on threes or spot up threes. And from this point forward, you like from the opening frame and into this moment, you are in the hands of a master like Spike Lee. I've not, we've not talked about Spike Lee on the podcast because simply if I feel like it should just be a given that he is one of the greatest, American filmmakers working today and will eventually go down in history as one of the most important filmmakers in American cinema, um, not just in the last 50 years, but in cinema in general. Um, I feel like he is one of the smartest um, filmmakers out there. He, when he's given the right material, even when he's not given the right material, what uh, the work that he does is on par with with any other great filmmaker um he he not he just doesn't give you great cinema which he does on a regular basis but he gives you thoughtful cinema he gives you cinema that makes you consider not just your placement in the world but everybody's placement i feel like he is one of the truly great empathetic filmmakers um, he's just able to understand and show show things not as we like them to be, not as we want them to be, but as they are. Um, and sometimes it's a hard, harsh uh, like uh, that's a hard, harsh uh, thing for people to see imagery, um, language, uh, and with a filmmaker that is not. The, the thing I think that most people like where they they where they find where they find themselves disliking Spike Lee, which I can never understand, is it's not that he's it would be one thing if he was he was he was putting a mirror up to America and he wasn't and he was just some fly by night hack. 
but he's not. He is a world-class filmmaker that can weaponize his filmmaking to make you understand whether you like it or not what's happening the ugly side of america as well as the beautiful side and i feel like he got game shows the beautiful and the ugly and sometimes at the same time um, but he's also a hopeful filmmaker i feel like that message is lost on many people is that ultimately and we'll talk about this film specifically there as much as there is as much as this is there there is I'm not going to say hurt, but there, uh, there is a there is a man behind the camera that doesn't that sees so much wrong with America. Uh, there's also a man behind the camera that is compassionate, understanding, and optimistic. Like he's truly optimistic, and uh, I find that this is one of his. This is one of the films that he. He understands, like, he understands basketball better than any other filmmaker. Like, he, I mean, he's, uh, like, he made a documentary about Kobe Bryant. Um, he understands sports very intrinsically, uh, extremely well. Like, um, he uh, he cast Jim Brown in this film, and he made an actual, he actually made a documentary about Jim Brown, which is probably one of the best documentaries I've seen about a sports figure. Um, uh, that was that was done very uh, briefly after this film, if not even during this film. But he's a man that not only like you're when you talk about he got game, you're not talking about a film that's. This is not blue chips, <laughs> even though it covers very similar territory as blue chips. This is not sanitized. This is not like. This is not a, this is not like, I mean, I love William Freakin. You guys know that I do, but Blue Chips is one of those movies that I have some problems with. There are some very specific problems I have with it because, because it, it doesn't, like, it speaks, it's told from, I mean, it's literally told from a coach's perspective. And if you're talking about a coach, you're talking about it's told from a, um, a 50 year old, like a 50 to 60 year old white man's perspective. Uh, and it's not told from the reality. Like, I mean, it talks about the same thing, corruption, um, you know, payoffs, NCAA bullshit, but it, it, it like where he got game has a, has has more of an under a truthful understanding of of that situation blue chips is this it's it's the fucking bullshit of uh, of that situation of oh well you know you can't you can't take money da, 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 da. never mind the fact that the fucking ncaa is is a multi-billion dollar organization that is essentially taking these these children and exploiting them i mean that's I mean, you're going to start hearing, you're going to hear some very, like, very pointed commentary from me in regards to the, um, in, in regards to the NCAA and how they, the, their treatment, uh, during this podcast, it may come up, it may not, I'm not sure, but I'm not, I, I'm, I don't watch the final four. I don't watch college basketball. Um, I, I'm an NBA fan because and it's specifically for one reason and one reason alone they fucking pay their their players when an organization is making money 
billions of dollars off of the work of unpaid children, that is that is exploitation. That is that is close to, if not slavery, and they're like or indentured servitude. And I'm not for that. And so, by far and large, I do not watch college sports because it's it's an exploitation. It's an exploitative thing. I mean, you know, for all you, for everybody that can criticize the NFL, the MLB, the the NBA, you guys can take your shots at them. But you know what? At least they're paying their players. Remember that when you watch the NCAA and you and you like bet on your brackets. Think about that. These kids are not getting paid. And you know what? If you fucking tell me a fucking education, fuck you. Really? A fucking education. These kids are supposed to live off of $300 a day. Or $300 a week. Something like that. Not even that. And they, like, they, meanwhile, coaches are making seven, eight. I think uh, Coach K makes $12 million a fucking year. So, yeah, like... These fucking these these kids like are exploited and I I don't like he like Lee in his film doesn't skirt around the issue but he definitely doesn't shy away from it and it's it's ultimately oh uh, it is a story point um, though it is not in the way that you think it is. This conversation actually leads us perfectly into this, what the story of He Got Game is. Uh, so Jake Shuttlesworth, is uh, played by Denzel Washington, is in prison for an undetermined amount of time for killing his wife. Um, the warden, played by Ned Beatty, um, has called for Jake because the governor knows that Jake... Uh, Jake's son, Jesus, is the number one high school recruit in the um, in the United States uh, for basketball. And uh, he is coming up to his uh, his deadline for uh, making a decision whether he was going to play college basketball or go into the NBA into the draft. Now, um, I know now currently in 2018, there, there is n- this is not an actuality that you actually have to either play one year in the NCAA or you have to um, wait until I think it's two years if you decide not to do that and you decide to go to Europe. But um, 20 years ago, uh, back when Kobe was in high school um, and uh, as was Ray Allen, these guys were had the option to go directly from high school over into the NBA. Um, and and it's something that has gone away recent uh, has gone away. Actually, shortly I think it was LeBron James was the last um, NBA player to actually uh, come out of high school in that draft class. And I think it's 2003 was the last draft class. Now, of course, now there is talk in 2018 about them changing that and letting high school, um, high school kids um, actually uh, go into the NBA draft professionally, which um, it's a slippery slope, but I'm for it. I'm definitely for it because these kids, if they're going to be, if they're, if they're going to be making money, 
or if they're going to be playing basketball on that kind of level, I want them to be paid. I feel like it's that that's the only way that we're going to be able to suss out the bullshit that is the NCAA. Um, but uh, uh, Jake is given a a deal basically. Um, he is uh, he he is asked to get Jesus to sign a letter of intent for the governor's alma mater of Big State University. And if if he is able to do this within a week, because he has a week until the deadline, um, Jake will be looked favorably uh, by the governor and possibly released. Though, um, within the scripting and the way that it's set up, uh, the verbiage that Ned Beatty is given to Denzel, you can instantly tell that there's something rotten in fucking Denmark. Um... But Jake, being a man who's like, you know, 10 years or I think it's like nine years into um, what is probably a 20 to 30 year sentence, he has nothing to lose. So he agrees. Um, But what you don't realize is that, uh, you know, it wasn't an accidental death. At least from Jesus's point of view, Jesus, uh, his son, played by Ray Allen, um, future Hall of Famer Ray Allen, uh, which is so weird saying because this movie is 20 years old and he um, retired at least I think it was like about three years ago. Um, But he um, their relationship is contentious, to say the least. And over the course of the film, um, one of the great things is. Uh, how Spike Lee modulates our understanding of what happened between Jesus and Jake and why Jesus is so um, upset with his father. Uh, we we finally do get to see the incident that causes his mother's death, but we don't see it until close to the end of the film. Um, but uh, Jesus, uh, Jake takes the deal has seven days he's assigned uh two parole officers one played by uh, the indomitable jim brown in a really great role that um you know if you're going to cast denzel washington the man that you would probably get that would allow him to be deferential in a power play is jim brown i mean there's nobody else that i can think of possibly that could uh, like tower over Denzel in a way that's believable. Uh, I mean, you don't understand, like, (laughs) if you don't understand who Jim Brown is, uh, watch Spike Lee's documentary and then, um, and then find Richard Pryor's bit about John, uh, about Jim Brown, um, and, or his many bits about Jim Brown. And you will understand why I say that. Um, I mean, I was a guy who was raised, uh, by my, my dad, like loved Jim Brown, uh, uh, loved all the football players that became actors in the seventies. And, um, and I was raised on a steady diet of Jim Brown. So needless to say, in stories of Jim Brown, needless to say, like, like seeing Jim Brown in the movie, like you understand instantly if you are of a certain age or you, you're, you're of a certain, um, type of man or, or woman, uh, you know, that Jim Brown, the reason why he was cast, uh, it, it's kind of a kick to watch him. And, uh, the film, the meat of the film, uh, the heart of the film is, is the, is this week where Jake tries to 
get his son to not just sign the letter of intent, but to find some forgiveness in his heart. And this film is complicated to say the least. Um, what I love about this film is, is the critiques it makes about American institutions. I mean, it's not, it, it's not just about basketball. I mean, I, I, I know that I've said that before, but it's about, it's about prison. It's about like, you know, it's about the institution of sports players. Um, it's, it's about, uh, the, uh, it's about like Regency. It's about, um, it's about the projects and what, what kind of life that, that leads to, um, within the projects, uh, in not just in New York, but anywhere. Um, it's, it's about the, the selling of, the selling of youth, um, youth, like youthful exuberance and, and youthful skill. Uh, because one of the things that's very interesting in this film is how Spike Lee is able to not distance you, you from Jesus, uh, Jesus, like Jesus, Ray Allen's character, Jesus, um, and not distance you from Jake. Uh, but giving you an empathetic portrait of both of them. I oftentimes in films, sports players are portrayed as these people that only want to get paid. They, they don't have complex, complicated lives. And what Spike Lee does because of the fact that he understands sports players, because, you know, like, you know, like he he loves sports. You can tell that he loves sports, and specifically, he loves the game of basketball. And he doesn't give us the 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 stupid stereotypical sports star. Uh, Got to get paid. Where's my money? Like you know, rolling with uh, rolling with my crew. None of that shit applies here. Like what he gives us is a a kid who is like 17 going on 18 and has so many pressures like uh, part of the problem for uh, for Shuttlesworth uh, for Jesus is that he he's besieged by on all sides like he doesn't have a moment to, he doesn't have a, like like confidence like everybody wants something from him uh, be it uh, his uncle uh, be it his father um, his, uh, like to a lesser extent, his sister, um, to a greater extent, his girlfriend, Lala played by Rosario Dawson, um, agents, coaches, um, his, his, his high school coach call it, uh, like everybody wants a piece of him. Everybody wants something from him. And he, like, through through Spike Lee's lens, you're able to understand why so many sports stars become insular, um, put a shield around themselves, um, or not around themselves, but I mean, uh, like, you know, like, yeah, around themselves and distance themselves because everybody wants something from them. It's, n it's no different than, uh, than an actor. And, uh, it's, it's a very interesting and complicated portrait because on the other side, you have Jake, uh, played by Denzel Washington, a, ma 
a man who's been incarcerated for nine years and a man who, as you quickly find out, is he's almost adrift at sea like he he wants forgiveness but he is still the same person that he, he in a lot of respects he is still the same person that he was nine years ago um and this is the saddest part about it is is that there that it was the alcohol and it's never said, it's never stated, but it's it was more than likely because he was black that he gets sentenced to the time that he he is serving. He doesn't complain about it, he just does it. He but he has become what what people like call institutionalized. And but the way that Denzel plays it, the way that Spike Lee allows you to come into this man's world it makes you understand him so that when you do see the incident that happens, you understand it was his responsibility as much as it was the alcohol, his environment, and what he was trying to do for his son and what he was trying to accomplish. It's just that within his within the system that he was he was looped into as a as a black man living in in America in the early 90s in New York of all fucking places that is a that is a like in a, like and let's talk about this for a little bit because this is something that is not really explicitly stated but the time place that this the time frame that this takes place in is the reformation by quote unquote mayor Rudy Giuliani who who acted like I'm waiting for a documentary to come out maybe there already is I should research it but the things that he did in the name of um, making New York uh, like you know uh, making New York clean and prosperous um, again is sickening like uh, there's a reason why he is who he is now uh, like, you know, people want to remember him fondly for fucking 9-11 and what he was doing with a fucking clipboard pointing at fucking shit. I, if you read like if you if you read accounts of his police force, if you read what he what he basically sanctioned, you would be sickened. You, you like many people know this already, but this is the era that that Jake and uh, Jake as a father and Jesus as a son was were thick in the middle of i can only imagine like you you and it's not that it's not that to say that what happened was right it wasn't i mean he even admits that it wasn't and he and he says that he's serving his time but the most important thing to him is not the time that he's serving in prison it's the fact that he wants he he wants his son and his daughter to forgive him and that's the crux and the heart of this movie like this is a movie like what i love about the work of spike lee and, and denzel washington when they work together is that they're approximately the same age so like scorsese and de niro there's an understanding of where each other are um within their their within their time frame or like within their 
within uh, within their lives. And this this film definitely feels like a film about a man in his forties. That it's exactly the way that that's where Denzel was. I think he was about forty three at the time, um, or no, forty two at the time. And uh, uh, Spike Lee was who was around. He had just, I think, he had just turned forty um, when he had made this film. And it is about your like as much as it's about basketball, it's about your past, it's about your present, and it's about making amends. And, but it's not done in this really hunky dory, bullshitty sort of way. This film is hard, hard. Like it's it's not one of those movies that you come out instantly warm and fuzzy. You have to. It's earned. It's not. It's not just given, and that's what makes this movie great. And. You know there is there is the structure in which it uh, which it works, which is like the the weak time frame where we're we're given a glimpse into not just Jake's life but specifically Jesus's life and how um, and what it's like for a high school kid who um, you know on the fo- uh, like you know uh, face value has everything going for him. But then underneath it all is alone, lonely, isolated, and has the biggest decision that will dictate everything for the next 20 years of his life. And the pressure that he's under and the pressure that, you know, after you see some of the things uh, like that happen and how his dad pushes him, it like after you've seen this film a few times, you begin to realize that Jesus, like, you know, Jake even though he was a drunk son of a bitch, he had a real point with his son because he knew his son was going to be great. And he knew that this was going to happen to his son. Um, and he pushes him and he continually pushes him. Even when he gets out of prison, it's not like one of the fantastic things about this movie is that, that when he gets out of prison, it's not like he goes to Jesus and he uh, like, you know, he doesn't go to his son and just go, son, forgive me. Da, 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 da. It's very contentious. It's not this hunky dory um, relationship. And you find out why. I mean, there's obvious reasons why. And the second the the second viewing does help a great deal when you look at it, when you look at him and you go, fuck, yeah, of course. I mean, this is like, you know, Jake is a fucking asshole. He's a piece of shit. All these things. But like that first time and the way that the way that that Spike Lee structures everything, it allows everyone to come to an understanding, not us, not not to sympathize with Jake. There's a difference between sympathy and empathy, and I think that we've gotten away from that. And the film is very empathetic towards Jake, but it's not sympathetic towards him. It knows what he did, but um, recently, I've been reading a lot about Spike Lee, and uh, like you know, there is a big like the man has a really huge heart. Um, specifically with with people that have been incarcerated in his like the, like he has a very specific like it's very interesting to read about his thoughts about incarceration and specifically African Americans and um, just like Ava DuVernay he's 
he he under like he has more empathy than anything else which i think that we need in this country um i think that this film is a prison film as much as it is a sports film and i think it i think in a really smart way it perfectly illustrates uh, like uh, institutionalization institutionalization and the kind of damage it can do and the the injustice of it all uh and again you can choose to read into this or you can choose not to but i choose to because i feel like it's it's a better movie than a lot of people have been giving it credit for i feel like it's one of the great spike lee movies it's great with a capital g not a little g like i mean we already know do the right thing malcolm x um she's got to have it are like the the are, are like the holy trinity right um but then what comes after that and many people have many different things and for me this is top five uh spike lee uh, if we don't talk about his, if we don't talk about his documentary work, which is a completely different subject if we're adding in his documentary work. Um, but if we're not, then, you know, if it's just his narrative work, yeah, this is top five for me. This is an amazing piece of work. Uh, so empathetic, uh, so understanding, but also a great driving film that uh, something that we've not talked about. Uh, the last third has possibly one of my favorite favorite um sports events that happens of all time like the way like it's it builds up like the film ultimately builds up to what you think that it's going what you think is going to happen which is a one-on-one game between jesus and jake and that game is so so fucking good it is as epic as you want it to be and Again, looping back to Aaron Copeland, Spike Lee was a genius in in regards to understanding that he needed an epic score for this. And what better, like, you know, what better composer than Aaron Copeland, the the soundtrack of America, uh, like the, the composer of America to do, uh, to have the final moment. And it's scored very specifically and, and it's it's a piece of directorial perfection like the the last 20 minutes of this film are some of the best work that spike lee has ever done um and that's saying a lot (laughs) that is saying a lot and um it's just it's just fucking flooring like this movie floors me every time i watch it. it 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 gives me something new um we've not talked about ray allen just enough because I'm always genuinely shocked that he didn't do more because he is so good in this film. Um, initially, uh, it was supposed to be Kobe Bryant, of all people, but um, after his abysmal rookie season, yes, Kobe had an abysmal rookie season, um, he decided, uh, he reaffirmed his um, 
I guess from what I understand, he he reaffirmed his his commitment to uh, sports and uh, declined the offer to star in the movie um, because he wanted to work on his game. And now, of course, everybody remembers his second season, almost like they're like it's his rookie season. Um, so he went through like Spike went through numerous castings: Stephen Marbury, Kevin Garnett, <laughs> which is kind of odd because Ray Allen would end up working um, playing with him for in the Celtics uh, during their run fucking Celtics Uh, um, but uh, it's uh, but he chose Ray Allen in in so good so fucking good in this movie Uh, it like now I know that a lot of people say well he's just playing himself no he really is not I mean it's an actual performance you can actually see it Um, it does help that Spike has surrounded him with good people and Denzel just makes everybody about 30% better. It really, it's really like no joke. You watch it and you can tell, um, you can tell like uh, Alan is better and does, uh, does better. Um, when he, uh, because of Denzel and, uh, it's, it's just, it's really, it's a really good performance because again, empathy versus sympathy like you're empathetic you understand uh his motivations but he's also a kid and he does some crazy stupid shit in this movie um you find you find things out but it never takes away from him as a person like he's not like you don't ever hate the kid i mean he you understand everything that he's doing and why he's doing it um and it's it's a great performance, a highly complex performance, because he's not only doing that, but he's also having to be physical and play like play basketball uh, and do multiple things. So uh, I, I've always found that his performance is so good. And then um, one of the last performers I do want to talk about, who's just fucking phenomenal, is Rosario Dawson, like a very young Rosario Dawson, maybe 2021, 20, playing Lala, um, Ray Allen's girlfriend, or um, Jesus Shuttleworth's girlfriend, um, in a role that I feel like people could look at at face value and see, see, uh, see a role that might be considered villainous, which I don't see it as like I I look at this I look at this role as a highly complex fully realized woman that is put into a position that may not necessarily be the best position like there there's an understanding in Spike's writing and what he lets her do at a certain moment that it's like a call to arms it really does like, you know, put like not just NBA stars, but sports stars in general in check and on notice, like Lala speaks for countless girlfriends. Um, and there is a, there is a rage in the performance that's simmering, uh, throughout it that Rosario Dawson does. That's just so, so good. Like she is so like she would later, she would work with, uh, with Spike Lee again, um, playing a very similar role in the 25th hour. Um, not similar, but it, like not similar in, not similar in tone or in character, but, 
um, in thematics, in the way that, uh, you know, what I like about Spike Lee is that he allows people to be complex, as complex as any other human being. And like, you know, what could be considered like, what did, what did, uh, uh, what did Fetty Wap call, uh, call them? Trap queens? Uh, what could be like a very cliched trap queen uh, role is anything but anything but and he gives her those moments to shine beyond uh, beyond the typical bullshit that most sports star girlfriend roles dictate Uh, and it's 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 so good like her like there are some moments between her and um her and Ray Allen, um, that they play off against one another. Um, the final moment, in fact, is just, oh man, it's so fucking good. And Dawson is like in that moment, like if you, if you saw it in 98, like I did, you knew that she was going to be fucking great. Uh, like you just knew, like she had a power in her that was beyond most of the, the talents her age. Um, and she's just so fucking good with it. And now we get to what's quickly becoming everybody's favorite part of the B movie podcast, which is where we take the movie that we're talking about and remake it. So we're remaking. He got game and, um, you know, this should be postulated by the fact that, uh, there has been discussions about a sequel that seems to be slowly, uh, germinating and moving, moving forward with Spike Lee. Um, I, I'm all for that. I definitely am all for that uh, because, I mean, as you can tell, I love this. I love this fucking movie. It's a great, great uh, sports movie. Just a great American movie. Um, but uh, I feel like we could, you could actually do a uh, a remake and have it be, you know, just as prescient, if not more so, than the original at the time. I think that Spike was really ahead of his time with talking about the things that he's talking about in this film. I mean, not just beyond, like, the college sports and sports in general, but, I mean, you know, fathers and sons and uh, the state of America. Uh, it's it's some heady stuff, and I think that a, a remake could be as equally powerful uh, as a sequel, and that's the way that we're going with this one. So um, I did not change writer-directors. I feel like he got game 98 and he got game 2018 because, as you can tell, we're celebrating its 20th anniversary too little to no fanfare, which I'm always shocked by. Um, when a movie that I love, um, that I feel like is, is quickly becoming like a classic in my eyes is just, there's no fanfare though. We have like 75,000 fucking articles about, you know, uh, take your fucking pick a movie that movies that came out in 98 that weren't that great. But, um, here I've chosen Spike Lee to write and direct his, his, reimagination of his own film uh which i feel like like i said it's really called for at this point um uh, so you have the problem of like you know casting jesus shuttlesworth and uh jake shuttlesworth um because in G- like you know ray allen it's he's he's damn good as jesus shuttlesworth and so to have an nba hall of famer and a guy who could act, you have to fill those shoes. That's pretty tough. And then, of course, 
uh, Denzel, I mean, following in Denzel's footsteps is not an easy thing for, for any actor. So with that in mind, uh, with Jesus Shuttlesworth, I decided to go with um, approximating like the approximating Ray Allen. And if you know anything about basketball, um, they are very different. Uh, they, they approach like they approach the game very differently, uh, though they have the same sort of amazing quantifiable talent that you, that will turn into eventually a superstar. Now, where uh, this uh, this uh, this NBA star falls um, will be in 20 years, we'll know a little, a lot more actually. And so I went with Ben Simmons, uh, who plays for those who don't uh, follow basketball. He plays for the 76ers. Um, he was the number one pick, uh, he he was the, he was the number one pick in, uh, 2016, uh, before injury took him out for the entire year and was a rookie of the year in 2017 because that's the first full season he played uh the 2017-18 season which is this year and i just feel like he he like he has that skill set or he he could have that skill set and um i feel like he would be uh like of the of the NBA superstars or the this the the rookie superstars uh, that are out there, he's the the most viable I feel as a candidate, especially because he just run one rookie of the year. Now Jake's Shuttlesworth is a lot uh, is just as hard and just as complicated because you're recasting Denzel Washington. Um, and I went with another superstar. I went with an aging superstar, uh, somebody who's not really figured out what to do with himself in his late in his second half of his career like the thing was with with Denzel was that this was the movie that put him into the second half like one of the movies that put him into the second half of his career um he was i mean like in in point in fact i mean this was like heading him into you know this was this was the this was the point where Denzel became Denzel i mean this is like the right before training day uh right before those movies that we consider like the Denzel movies like the superstar Denzel so with that uh, with that in mind um i i could not think of anybody that of his stature at this point within their career um, I went with somebody that is an even bigger star than Denzel. I went with uh, Will Smith. And the reason why I went with Will Smith is, is that I think that I think that at this point, as much as we all love Will Smith, I think we can all agree that he might be in a little bit of uh, he might be in a lot of trouble career wise. Um like you know when your biggest hit of the last couple of years was Suicide Squad a film that is hated by everybody but it still was still a massive hit uh you've got some you you've got some splaining to do or you've got some some career reassessment i mean you know the famous story is, is that he passed on Django like he was Quentin's original choice uh, you can see it there now for I think that for everybody involved, Jamie Foxx is an amazing and perfect choice. Uh, it, but for 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 Will Smith, not getting that Django part, I think that's that's. Uh, 
it doesn't say a lot, but then again, it does. And so I feel like this role is kind of designed for him because what you could always do is you could remake it so that uh, Will Smith was like, say, was a former NBA star and his drinking and his alcohol or his alcoholism or his drug abuse caused him to um, like, you know, caused him to not have a career that he should have, which would you know, like, you know, is a cliche within these kinds of movies, but would only reinforce that reinforce the um, the bond between or the this discord between father and son and Will Smith. I mean, he like so shocking and like, you know, like for me, at least it's shocking that he never even approached like a, a Spike Lee project. Like he's never he's never even come close to being cast in the Spike Lee project, which is just seriously amazing to me that. These two, like, you know, these two Titans have not actually worked together. Um, I I think that Spike Lee would challenge Will Smith's uh, performance and get a better performance out of him altogether. And I think that maybe it might be something that could shake Will Smith out of the malaise that he's currently in, at least acting-wise. So, yeah. Uh, Den- oh, Will Smith as, uh, you know, Jake Shuttlesworth. Uh, now... Uh, the next character is Lala, played by Rose, uh, Rosario Dawson, who was kind of perfectly cast. I, I could like she did. She defined that role so well. Um, I went I know where you're going, because like if you guys know who Ben Simmons is dating, I'm, I refuse to even say her name and I refuse to even say that she would be a quote unquote actress because she's not. So we're not going that way. What we're going with is probably like for me, uh, like an act like an, a young actress that has not really hit her stride yet. But it's also because of the fact that she's really not been given a lot to do recently or not recently, but just in her, in the films that she's been in, in the short time that she's really taken the spotlight. And that's, uh, Zendaya. Uh, I, I feel like she's young enough, but the things that we've seen her in has shown this kind of street smart, street smart, uh, young woman that I think that she would perfectly play Lala and just having her to be able uh, having her, to be able to face off against Will Smith and uh, Ben Simmons and give them both like, you know, a one up would be like a chance that she could take and run with and run a long ways with. Uh, Trust me. I think that she would definitely just be one of those, like those great, like she's known, but giving her something like this to really sink her teeth into would give would give her career a boost in a different way than the Spider-Man MCU bullshit that she's in um, does. And I I think that we kind of need more, like we need stuff like this for actresses. Like me, like I wouldn't say meteor parts, but more proactive parts. Now that brings us to Dakota played by Mila Jovovich, which at face value is a very, very troubling, like, character um, and role because it's the typical, like, you know, hooker with the mild heart of gold. Um, and to kind of give it, it a little bit more of a, 
a spin that would be interesting, like in very many ways, the way that Mila Jovovich brought something very interesting to that to that particular role. Um, I chose uh, Kara uh, Delovin. I always pronounce her um, her always pronounce her last name cor- incorrectly. Uh, I think it is uh, Delevin. Um, she was, she was in last year uh, and one of my favorite films from last year, which was, um, uh, Valerian in the city of a thousand, uh, city of a thousand planets. I feel like she's also one that's not really been given a lot to do though. She is extremely talented and to give her something that's a little bit more of a physical performance and a less mannered and a little bit more of uh, like a little bit more gritty than she's uh, than she's been cast in before would I feel like would would really uh, would really help her. And then I also like the I like I, I like the visual of Will Smith and her as as a not as a couple, but as people who interact and the age difference definitely does play a role into this. And I think that that would definitely be be something that we, that would be very apparent, uh, between the two. So yeah, um, (laughs) Mila Jovich, uh, then you have the rest of the kind of like supporting roles. Um, uh, you've got uh, the warden Wyatt played by Ned Beatty, and that was no that was no contest whatsoever. I feel like uh, today's anal- uh, analogy or analogous actor for Ned Beatty, uh, other than Ned Beatty because he's still around, <laughs> is Paul Giamatti. I feel like Paul Giamatti is a guy who's both a New Yorker, but also. A guy who could play a career politician or a career, I mean, because a warden is a politician. I mean, they're, they, they are, uh, there's a lot of political maneuvering that has to go on in order to get that appointment as a warden of a prison. And I feel like he would be the kind of person that you would instantly not, I know this sounds bad, but he could, like, it would be a performance where you could instantly not trust him. Because Ned Beatty, it's the, the first few minutes of, of this movie, you watch him and you go, I Jesus, don't trust this motherfucker. And even Jesus, I mean, there's a moment in the movie that you can tell that Jesus doesn't trust him at all. That he that he knows he's gonna be that this fucking like you know quote unquote lace curtain motherfucker is gonna play a fast one on him, and he ends up doing just that. Uh, but I feel like Giamatti could bring those kinds of layers that Ned Beatty brought to the role that it isn't completely like mustache twirling menace. Um, now for uh, the cop or the parole officers that are watching over uh, Jesus over this week-long saunter into New York or to Coney Island to convince his son to... to go to the governor's alma mater, uh, we have uh, Spivey and Crudup, played by Jim Brown and uh, Joseph Lyle Taylor. And for Spivey... You need somebody who's physically imposing, somebody who was a former sports star like Jim Brown and somebody who's not going to take any shit. And so it was like a no brainer. Uh, Terry Crews. Uh, Terry Crews is like a guy who I adore everything that he's in. I mean, he's just such a great 
actor and is able to be whatever you need him to be, whether it's a, like, you know, a, an action hero in The Expendables, a goofy, a, a, like, you know, goofy goofiness personified in, um, uh, in Idiocracy, uh, like you name it this guy can do it and i think that he could bring a true menace and a and a true kind of law enforcement dick like persona to uh to spivey uh, in the way that jim brown brought it so yeah, there you go uh spivey will be played by terry cruz now crudup um who's a he's a lesser part um he's not necessarily vital but i feel like um taylor imbo- embodied that that role in a way that makes it substantive even or substantial even though he hardly says any words and i just felt like a guy who could do that who's been doing that a lot on tv is uh troy garrity uh from ballers like he he does this he manages to be interesting without saying a lot. And I think that that's what that particular role needs um, to be able to. And he's a true New Yorker. Like, I mean, like his mom and his dad before him, he is a very New York guy. Um, if you guys did not know, he's the child uh, like he's uh, his his mother is Barbara Streisand. So, of course. Um, but yeah, uh, Troy Garrity. Now. You've also got uh, uh, Uncle Bubba, played by Bill Nunn. And I went in a different direction than Bill Nunn. What I did was I went with somebody who people are familiar with, and but there's also maybe a little bit of baggage for certain people. Um, but he always manages to, I, to me personally, light up the screen. Uh, and that is... Um, Mike Epps, like definitely somebody who I feel like is completely different than Bill Nunn, but the role that Uncle Bubba requires, I feel like Mike Epps could do better than, um, a lot of the actors out there currently. Um, uh, you have, uh, you have Sweetness, who is, Essentially, Dakota's uh, pimp, who's played by uh, Thomas Jefferson Bird, who's just great and like has this kind of twitchy, cracked out, um, wiry sort of persona that uh, he that he worked so well in Clockers. Like him and Spike, uh, Spike working together in Clockers was it was like perfection. And this just seems like. It seems like a the the evolution of that particular character. Um, I want something completely different. Um, rather than taking that kind of particular stereotype, I went with somebody who Lee has just recently worked with, who I feel like would make, like who would take this role and change it, uh, and make it just as dangerous, but in a different, unexpected way, which is. Um, Adam Driver, like a nice cameo from Adam Driver. And if you've seen this movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like he could kill it in a way that I don't think that a lot of actors could. Um, you have <clears throat> Coach Billy Sunday, played by John Turturro, who comes in and is just like this like goofy, fun presence. I mean, he's like a he's the he's a play on 
a lot of these coaches uh, out there. I mean, you like when you when you see it, if you're an NBA or an NCAA basketball fan, you know exactly who this motherfucker is. You do. You know exactly who this guy is. You've seen him on a lot of different teams. Um, we, the names will remain name uh, will remain nameless to, to say the least, just to not incriminate anybody. But John Turturro plays it perfectly. Um, I went in a different direction. I went with, I felt like Brad, like, you know, you, if you're going to go with that kind of coach, that kind of vanilla Sunday coach, uh, you want to go with like the Brad Stevens model. Um, he's the coach for the Celtics. Um, many NBA fans will know him. Of course. Uh, I went with Topher Grace who feels like the analogous, of NBA coaches <laughs> like like him and Brad Stevens I feel like could be best friends uh and I I mean again somebody who Spike has just recently worked with in the Black Klansman um a film that I like is my film of the summer I'm really looking forward to that one uh and uh I feel like he could bring something a different kind of energy but that kind of Brad Stevens energy that I feel like in the coming years like a bunch of goofy like, you know, vanilla mayonnaise white guys are going to copy exactly Brad Stevens model. Um, whereas like, uh, like I said, like Billy Sunday is a completely different, uh, in how John Turturro interprets him is a completely different style of coach that we saw in the late nineties and early two thousand in the NCAA. Um, then you have, um, big time Willie who's played by Roger Ganeerveer Smith, who's also another, um, Spike Lee, uh, you know, uh, another Spike Lee favorite. And I went with somebody completely different. I wanted an NBA cameo. Um, this guy is kind of like, um, he's the kind of cliche in the sports film. He's the, He's the the gangster that like you know is looking out for the sports prodigy because he likes sports and he wants to, you know he 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 wants to help him out because he thinks that he could legitimize himself. Um, but the way that Smith plays him, it's so kind of it. Like I feel like there are very few people that understand how to use him properly, and Spike is one of them. And Spike uses him to such massively good effect, and it makes it makes the role this extra layer of like grit and film and disgustingness that you can't, um, that you really can't shake off because he's saying a lot of the things that, uh, you know, people like, you know, the, the ugly truth behind superstardom, uh, when it comes to, uh, kids getting it very early. Um, I feel like, I wanted, I, I like, I know this is going to sound weird, but I want Steph Curry in this role. Like, I feel like Steph Curry, like this last year in the, um, in, uh, this last basketball NBA season has really, truly blossomed into a figure like the whole, all of the Warriors team, the whole Golden State Warriors that turned into these heels or these villains that people really dislike. And I feel like it's the perfect role for Steph Curry to just go like straight at it and say these like awful, awful fucking things and just be able to do it in like that way, that charming, swarmy way that that I think that he that I think that everybody perceives that possibly Steph Curry is. Um, and then to close it out, there are two. Uh, 
Mary Shuttlesworth, who is, um, uh, who is the young, uh, the the younger, um, the younger daughter of Jesus and the, or not Jesus, but uh, Jake, who Jesus uh, is watching his little sister, like watching over her. Uh, initially played by Zelda Harris, and uh, I went with a little familial connection and went with uh, Willow Smith, of all people. I've seen her in a couple of things and feel like maybe she might not be a bad choice for this. Um, it would give, it would allow Will Smith to play off of the father-daughter relationship in the, the few short scenes that they would have together um, really, really strongly. Like I personally feel like it would help him in, in a lot of ways to be able to have that familiarity there so that it's an instant sort of, uh, connection. So Willow Smith. And then finally, um, Martha Shuttlesworth, who was played by Lynette McKay or McKee. Sorry about that. Um, she, she was, uh, uh, she was Jesus's mother and she's the woman in the film that, she is as much a character as she is a theme as as much as she is a plot mechanism. Um, you need somebody like Lynette McKee, who was, uh, who's, um, whose main work has been in uh, Broadway, but you need somebody who is strong. that can come in and make an impression and make the moments that she's there both beautiful and loving, but also in, in the moment where it, where, we get to see what happens to her. It hurt. And a nice, lovely way to reconnect it into the um, into the film itself is, uh, or to the original, is to cast Rosario Dawson, who I feel would kill this fucking role, would just kill it. Um, and uh, that does it for remaking He Got Game, coming in 2019 to theaters nowhere. <laughs> And that'll do it for uh, this double feature. This is America Sports. I uh, uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, you can always reach out to us on social media. We are on three different platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. The, uh, the handle is the same for all three, uh, B Movie Pod, the letter B, the word movie, the word pod. No lines, no dashes, no bullshit. Uh, if you sign up for the Letterboxd account, you'll actually see in advance what we're actually going to be discussing in the coming week. So if you went on right now, you would actually see what next week's double feature is so that you could, in advance, watch those two films. And I'm going to tell you right now, uh, the next two films that we're, we're watching, they're doozies, and I definitely suggest watching uh, uh, watching them. Um, so, And also signing up for the Letterboxd account so you can actually see, see that there. And then on Instagram, of course, like all Instagram, accounts we're posting on we're posting pictures and various things that we we find interesting and then of course twitter is mainly just to announce when the podcast is going to be or when the when the podcast episodes drop not really a lot of activity there though we do occasionally um interact with uh you know anybody who wants to talk it back at us on there can do so but we're not truly active on there because as you guys know twitter's a fucking dumpster fire and until it gets cleaned up we kind of taken a back seat on it um but on letterbox and also instagram we're highly active and 
on all of them we will we were more than happy to interact with our with our audience it's been uh, a pleasure thus far having um uh, you know having talked to a, uh, quite a few of you it's it's really nice to like be able to interact and see what you guys think of the podcast and you know uh hear your suggestions critiques um and your praise because ultimately you guys are the juice that keep this running because uh you know your listenership, your support is all, all like, it's, it's truly meaningful to me. And I thank you for that. So we'll be back next week. Uh, we will actually have some guests on both podcasts and I can't wait for you guys to hear the, what we've got in store for you for the next double feature of this is America. Um, and until next time, talk to you soon.
Good.